Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Welcome to Tuesday night Torah class. Um, we're in Exodus. We're in chapter end of chapter 13, and we're going to move on. But before I do that, first of all, let me open in prayer. Father God, thank you very much for, the, uh, for this group of people that came out on this rainy night to study your Torah. I'd ask that you just uh, bless us as we read through your word and uh, bless our conversation as we ask questions and, and uh, steel sharpen steel. We listen to each other and express ourselves appropriately and just help each of us go home this evening with a little better understanding of who you are and, and what, how you'd like us to behave. In Yahushua's name, amen. Okay, now... Before I start, John had something he wanted to talk about with respect to uh, uh, some books. So get the microphone and speak on the microphone, otherwise people won't be able to hear you. You can stand up there if you want. Thanks, Gary. Sure. So I got two books. Uh, my friend Danny Bengigi, who I do work through with uh, another website that I work on, Music From God. He had some books to offer us, so there's been a lot of people interested in these, uh, getting like our, our men's co coffee club group, and I know, Mike, you bought one of them, the Biblical Hebrew Home Study Edition. You really like that one, right? And then the other one is the uh, God's Secrets, Only Hebrew, Only Hebrew Can Reveal. I looked at that a little bit too. It's pretty good. It's actually very good. So uh, we're kind of getting a tally together of how many people that might want to buy it, and then uh, I'll order it for him, and we'll get, he'll give us a good deal on it. So just wanted to let that let that be out there. Okay, I'll let you get everybody else look at it. Yep, and maybe to say how much they cost. Yeah, they're both on. They're both will be like thirty nine. I think he said was the discounted price. For the I'd have to them? verify that. Mm -hmm. That's the, uh, you, you getting that? Yep. And then the other one is uh, Home Study Edition. This one is, we're, a lot of people are interested in this because it, it just, to get you to start learning the Hebrew. It's got flashcards in there. It's got CDs. It's actually two books put together as one. So, okay. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Okay, so last week we uh, went through the the tenth plague and saw the destroyer, the angel of death, go over all of Egypt. And those people that had put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and the lintel of their houses, the angel of death passed over 
And that's where we get the term, the English term, Passover from. And we talked about that. We talked about, we got off on a tangent, thanks to me, about the holidays and why they're there and, and what they're good for. And uh, I get kind of excited about that. So um, that's what we did last week. And we ended up in Exodus chapter 13. Chapter 13, about verse 16. 13, 16 is where we ended. So I want to start tonight at uh, Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. So finally, after the firstborn of every, uh, in every Egyptian household was killed, um, Pharaoh had had enough and he said, okay, you can go. Take your, your kids and your wives and your animals and your stuff and just go, you know, leave. Um, and the, like I say, most of what we spent last week on was talking about that evening and what happened and how God says this is, God said the calendar will start in this month and this event was the first Passover. Does anybody remember when the first Passover starts? When the Passover starts? What day? The 14th of Aviv? The 14th of Aviv. Aviv or Aviv is spring. So the way the calendar works, the Hebrew calendar works, is the month starts on a new moon. And uh, there's about 29 days or so in a month, in a moon. And so the middle of the moon, if it starts, if the first is on a new moon, then about the 14th or the 15th is the middle of the month, and so that'll be a full moon. So it's always a nice, bright moon. When it, that it's actually gets kind of interesting, I think, personally, because I never knew anything about the moon until as a timekeeping piece, if you will, until I started learning about the Hebrew calendar. But now whenever you go outside on an evening and you got this nice, big, old, huge, bright, full moon, you can say, I may not know what month it is, but it's about the 15th, and you'll always be right. So... Anyway, that's when it is. And so they left. So anyway, let's, uh, let's start in chapter 13 and verse 17 and read some. Would someone like to read from verse 17 uh, through chapter 14, verse 4? So it's about, it's not very much. And if everybody's real shy, I'll do it. But you ready? In verse 17? Start in verse 17 to, to and go end. through 14.4. 14.4, okay. And it came to be when Pharaoh had let the people go that Elohim did not lead them uh, <clears throat> did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, though that was nearer, for Elohim said, lest the people regret when they see fighting and return to Mitzrayim. So Elohim led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Sea of Reeds, and the children of Israel went up in fives from the land of Mitzrayim. And Moshe took the bones of Joseph with him, for he certainly made the children of Israel swear, saying, Elohim shall certainly visit you, and you shall bring my bones from here with you. And they departed from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And Yahuwah went before them by day in a column of cloud to lead the way, <clears throat> and by night in a column of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. 
The column of cloud did not cease by day, nor the column of fire by night before the people. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi Ha'arath, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, camp before it by the sea. For, for Pharaoh shall say of the children of Israel, they are tangled in the land, the wilderness has closed them in, and I shall strengthen the heart of Pharaoh, and he shall pursue them. But I am to be esteemed through Pharaoh and over all his army, and the Mitzrites shall know that I am Yahuwah, and they did so. Okay, so going back to the beginning of the passage we just started then, in uh, verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. That was shorter. So I got maps. And not only that, but I'm really cool here. Let's see, I think. I, oh, I got it like that. And so this is where they lived up here in Goshen. So you got that right there in Goshen. And they headed out like this. Now, the shorter way to go was here's the way of the land of the Philistines. So the shorter way to go would have been just right up here. Just go to the coast and go up the coast. The, the, the land that God promised them is up here around Hebron. But it says that uh, uh, God didn't lead them that way. And why, why didn't he lead them that way? Wasn't it because of the Philistines were up there? No. Yep. And what was God's concern? Hmm? Yep. That. <laughs> Go ahead, John. What'd you say? They'd be she afraid. She said they'd get killed. They'd <laughs> be afraid. Right. Yeah. Right. The Philistines were uh, noted warriors. Uh, you know, very warlike kind of people. Why didn't you just rapture them over there? There you. <laughs> yeah. Teleport them. And he said, and it says, for if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. I mean, this is a bunch of slaves, right? They're not an army at this point, really. And so God said, if they go up by way of the Philistines, and the Philistines start beating up on them, they'll just turn around and go back to Egypt. And so we won't do that. Yeah. John? So they have to go to desert boot camp. Yeah. Mount Sinai desert yep. boot camp. Yep. That's a, we'll talk about that. Mark's got something. I'm just going to note, you have Heliopolis there next to Sukkot, yep, right and there. Heliopolis would be uh, where modern-day Cairo is. Oh, I didn't That's know that. That's where the, yeah, Heliopolis is right smack dab in the middle of Cairo, right next to the pyramids. Okay. It's also on, it's uh, sometimes called on, and if you remember, Joseph's wife was the daughter of the priest of On, so that's where... His father-in-law would have lived. Not that it matters to anybody. I mean, it's not a very important detail. Anyway, it says uh, in verse 19 that when the Israelites left, they took something specific with them. What was it? The bones. What bones did they take with them? The bones of Joseph. So do you remember where we read about that? If you don't, I'm going to tell you to go back there. Go to Genesis chapter 50. It's just a few pages back. Genesis chapter 50. 
verse 25. Let's start in verse 23. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land that he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph said, made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, surely God will come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And that's exactly what it says. So they took Joseph's bones. Yeah. So if I'm just thinking this through here, Moses could have heard him say that. Yeah, I Because Moses so. is, the, is the third of the fourth generation from Levi. Yeah. And this is the third generation from uh, Manasseh. Ephraim Manasseh, yeah. who's actually, you know, one closer to him. Yeah, that's a good thought. I had not thought that. But I didn't either. I just yeah, thought about it. that's probably true. Yeah. What does this say about Joseph, though, this whole thing of why would he do that? That's the that's the promise. That that's was my whole promise. point. Why were they there more than the? Yeah, yeah. Then six years in, or the after the. This after is the this thing, is a very key back. principle to everything that God's doing. Right, God promised this land to Abraham and his descendants, and this was an indication of Joseph's um, faithfulness. I guess you'd say his his belief in that promise because he said. Um, God will surely come to your aid, and then you will come out of this place and you bring my bones with you. Okay, this is the $64,000 question. We can put a little gold star beside your name on the wall over there. Um, where are Joseph's bones today? Somebody said it, yeah. Shechem. They're in Shechem. Now, Shechem, you know what the modern day name for the city of Shechem is? Nablus. 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 Nablus sits down in the valley between the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And it's a, a Muslim-controlled town now, but there's a tomb down there that's parenthetically recently been desecrated by the Muslims um, that has Joseph's bones in it. Isn't that cool? You know, I mean, you know, like I say, this is 3,500 years ago. It's still, you can find it today. After they, um, they left Egypt, how did they tell where they were going? How did they know where they were going? Please raise your hand. Anybody have? They didn't have GPS. They didn't have GPS. And, and obviously, we know that Moses didn't ask for directions because he spent 40 years wandering around out there, right? Uh, they, they, there was a column of cloud by the day yep. and a column of fire by night. Yep, yep. So God presented himself. Oh, so is this where, John, you say they traveled day and night mm -hmm. because of this verse? Or? It's, it says they could. It says so that they could travel by day or night. This is uh, verse 21. It says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. 
just you, your translation says could. Yeah. In the King James, it doesn't say that for what it's worth. Okay, that's fine. You know, uh, the next verse 23 says, Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by now, night left its place in front of the people. And you could put behind that for the next 40 years because that cloud was with them for the next 40 years. Yeah. Just a reminder uh, in Isaiah 4, 5, it says that the Lord is going to bring that pillar of fire and cloud back again. Really? So in Isaiah 4, 5, it says, Then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion. Hence, we know it's a new and time this, yeah. because it didn't happen over Mount Zion before. Yep. So the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over the assembly a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory will be a canopy. Okay. So that's obviously yet to come. Mm -hmm. Joe. Okay. Somebody said the word could. That's not right. When God said... And the Lord went before them as a statement mm -hmm. that there's no could, maybe that, mm -hmm. but it's a statement. And uh, the, the the cloud, I said, well, they didn't have a GPS, mm -hmm. but they did have a compass, which was the cloud during the daytime mm -hmm. and the fire at night. So it was a continuous thing. And uh, does, is that still there, the clouds? And the fire, is that still in existence? Or was that a miracle thing that God led them? Forty years is a long time yep. for to have this. Mm -hmm. And it had to be a miracle. No oh, way. Yeah, sure. Sure. But like Mark says, we ought to see it again one of these days. Okay, so as we move into 14, um, God says to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near pi Haaroth between Migdal and the sea. Let's see. That's not on this map. I don't think it's on the other one either. But let me move. No, it's not on the other one either. This is, we'll, we'll, on the other one? No. See it there. Migdal? And, or by Ethan. Oh, Up it's over here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. One of the things that I'm going to, I wanted to go over these maps, but let me go a little farther down through there. Anyway, it shows them over. Let's see. Got a, just a second. I'm liking this thing, though. This is kind of fun. Right here. P. Haaroth, right there. Okay. Anyway, it says that uh, they encamped. He said, turn back and encamp near Pi Haaroth between Migdal and the sea. So the turn back would indicate that they'd gone somewhere and came back. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. So I get the impression that they went down there and kind of looked like they were wandering around a little bit and ended up over there right between, right on the shore, if you will, right, right on the shore of the Red Sea. Um, and it said in verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them but I will gain, gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. So basically, what it amounts to is they, they left and went off down here and camped out right then, and um, that's where they were, sitting there. And, and a, from an army standpoint, from a, 
uh, battle standpoint, that's a pretty dumb thing to do, is to go back your army up against the sea because um, you're, you're a sitting duck, right? Go ahead. Um, the word pihahiroth yes. means mouth of the gorges. Huh. Okay. Well, if I remember that area, and we're going, if we mm-hmm. take the gold solution. Okay, this one right in here. Right. right? Mm-hmm. It, you walk, it's a huge wash, and there's no, you're no way walled out. in. You can't, yeah. unless you cross the sea or just stay on the beach there, the beach, the beach of Nimbia, I forget what it's called. Yep. You, you know, that's the, it's kind of a closed-in area. Yep. I should point out on this little map here, it's kind of an interesting fact of geography. Right here, up here, around this little arc here at the very, this is called the east arm of the Red Sea. Um, at the top there, there are two two cities. The one, the current land of Israel comes down like this, and there's a town called Elot right there. And then right a, right across over here is a town in Jordan called Aqaba. And then just five miles down that that coast right there. Um, is the border of Saudi Arabia, and about five miles down this this uh, western coast here is uh, Egypt. So right there within literally walking distance, although it'd be a big long walk, is Egypt, Israel, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia, all just right around the, the very north end of that thing. Mark. So a lot of, when I see this phraseology in Scripture, I keep recognizing it and, it and it brings to my attention uh, what God is, is going to do because it helps when we see it used in other places what he means by it in the other place it's used so the text that I'm referring to is in verse 4 and it says uh, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army so he's going to be honored through Pharaoh so let's look at Ezekiel and it's Ezekiel uh, chapter 39, verse 27. He says, When I bring back all those peeps that I scattered across the other nations, I will be sanctified through them. So the same. So how, what did he do? How was he honored? It was through Pharaoh. Yeah. And so similarly, he's going to be sanctified through us. So Pharaoh was used in an amazing way to bring about this honor, and we're going to be used in a way, spectacular way, like, I mean, Pharaoh's thing here was, it was spectacular. Oh, yeah. And so somehow, spectacularly, we're going to, we're going to be used to bring about sanctification through us. Okay. Now, there's not a thing wrong with the word honor. Mine uses the word glory. It's the same idea. God basically says, I'm going to make this so that anyone that sees it's going to know it's me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's pretty cool. And it's, it says, mine says, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. It's obviously so dramatic and amazing, so spectacular, so amazing. You've never seen it before in your life. That's why he says, they're going to know. Yeah. There's not going to be any question in yeah. your mind. And same thing in Ezekiel, when we're going to be, we're going to be the instrument to bring about the knowing to all the rest of the nations. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep, that's pretty cool. You have some, Paul? Well, we're looking back at this account, and we have an idea of how big of a deal it was. Yes. Because we can look back, and every time that um, Israel approached a nation, one of the things they had talked about is we all had heard what your God had did for you against the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. So his name was magnified and brought glory to, and it's kind of like, yeah, they didn't have Facebook or Telegraph or GPS, but it's word sure travel. Yep. This is really interesting. And uh, when uh, uh, the Lord spoken to Moses, saying, uh, speaking to the children of Israel that they turned back and then camped before that word there and uh, by the sea. For God knew that the, Phil, the Pharaoh and his armies were going to attack. Yeah. So it was a pre-planned oh, operation yeah. by God for the people of Israel. Yep. Because when they got, well, you know, if we looked at, well, we got our back to the sea, we can't go back and we can't go across, what are we going to do? Then that's when God performed a miracle, but it was all pre-planned, an oh, yeah. operation pre-planned by God. God. Yeah, that's what he said. He says, you know, um, go, he said, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Aroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And then God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. So right, he knew he was going to do this. And he says, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians, the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. Paul. So one of the things that this account doesn't say, but I could imagine, is that Pharaoh may have had spies or scouts that were just following behind to see what, you know, the Israelites were doing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Because, you know, how would, how would he know yeah, I'm that sure. they were I'm sure. right there at this spot? But, you know, this is, this is the, the, arguably, the 10th plague was the climax. But this has been a big deal. I mean, all these plagues going on and all the stuff. I mean, if they had had newspapers and CNN and all this kind of stuff, it would have been 24-hour news coverage, you know, of all of the stuff that's going on here. So, okay, would somebody like to read from then verse 5 in chapter 14 through verse 14? I'll read it, since, you know, we're everybody so set, so shy. Starting in verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haaroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, 
Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let, the, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of Yahweh. You see the deliverance Yahweh will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Yahweh will fight for you. You only need to be still. <laughs> One of the things I couldn't help but think about when I read this is we read, do you remember way back, not way back, but two or three weeks ago when, um, you know, Moses first met God in the burning bush and God says, you're going to go back and lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses goes through these six reasons why he's not the right guy. You know, and God kind of gets a little short with him, says, look, you're going to do this. You know, I'll, I'll send your brother Aaron, he'll help you, but you're going to do this. And so he goes over and he goes into see Pharaoh and he says, God, the God of Israel tells you to let my people go. And Pharaoh pretty much just laughs in his face, says, I don't even know this, God. Not only that, but now you guys are going to have to make, you know, bricks without straw. And so, the, you remember the scene where the, the foreman, the Israelite foreman, went into Pharaoh and says, we can't make the same number of bricks if we have to get our own straw. And Pharaoh says, I don't care about that. Says, you should tell that to your yo-yo guy Moses over there. He's the one that got you in trouble. And they go out, and you remember they were mad at Moses. And they said to Moses, thanks a lot. You've made us a stench in the nose of Pharaoh, you know? And so Moses goes out, and, and he goes to God, and he says, you told me <clears throat> to go to Pharaoh and to tell him to let your people go. And he's not doing, you haven't done anything. <clears throat> now that was before plague one. Here we are after the 10th plague and they're over there sitting with their back to the ocean. Moses is singing quite a different tune, right? <clears throat> he says, what are you complaining about? Just God's going to deliver us. Just stand here and be still. What do you, man, can you see what's happened to, Fa or to Moses in the past month or so? Really? I mean, you know, I think it's real obvious. The guy has, his faith has grown, let's say. I mean, you know, like I say, if you had told Moses at the beginning, back there at the burning bush, you know, go deal with Pharaoh. You're going to have 10 plagues, and they're going to be pretty bad, and he's going to go down on his word 10 times, and he's going to be a real jerk about things, and everything's going to get pretty messed up. Moses said, no, no, no. He'd have pulled a Jonah and gone the other way, right? But uh, he didn't know. And now that he's been through these and he sees that they're finally on the way, Moses is quite a bit different. I just thought that was worth pointing out. John. I have another challenge with the translation here. Okay. Or at least mine's translated different. At the end of verse 8, I'll just read 8. Mm -hmm. And Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. A high hand. So. What do you think that means? Well. Mine says boldly, which I really don't get. I well, mean, that, that could I'm, very well be wrong. I'm comparing that to when they acted rebellious towards God. Or no, it, that's what it is. It's the, it's the one who. Who 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 won't do? Who works on the Sabbath and goes out of presumptuously? Yes, I think the verbiage there is the same. It's a, he, okay. he's with a high hand. All right. 
So, and it can be, so I guess my point is, it can be a negative or a positive. It can be, I have, a, I have I'm boldly doing with a high hand, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. what in alignment with Yahweh or not. Yeah. It depends on what you're, is it, are you in righteousness or not? Good point. Interesting. I think it's interesting that God said to, to the Israelites, you only have to be still. Yeah. Well, I think this high hand, yay, we're free, we're free. That could be. And then the next yeah. minute, they're in panic. Yeah, yeah. Because they turn around and they saw that. So it's from, oh, we're free. Ah, oh, we're going to die. Yeah. He's after us. We're free, we're free. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. The, uh, I just, the, the fact that the Bible does this kind of stuff cracks me up when it says, you know, it's quoting the people, and they say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? And what a sarcastic thing to say, you know? <laughs> you got to laugh. Okay, um, moving right along, want to go from 15. Well, let's go from 15 down through the, this is the, the climax here, 15 to the end, or yeah, through the end of chapter 14. So 15 through 31, it looks like. You're the only. You're the only sucker we got. Okay, John will do it. Fifteen to the end of chapter fourteen. So fifteen, chapter or verse fifteen through thirty-one. All right, and then and Yahweh said unto Moses, Wherefore cry? This is King James. Yes. Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward, but lift up. Uh, lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground throughout the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get my honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Jehovah. That I, when I have gotten me, gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen, <laughs> and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from uh, before their face and stood behind them, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave light by night to those, to these, so that the one came near, not the other, all the night. 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Jehovah caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the water was divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses in his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, Jehovah looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariots, uh, I'm sorry, and took off their chariot wheels that they have 
drave them heavily, so that Egyptians said, Let us flee, flee from the face of Israel, for Jehovah fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And Jehovah said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea turned to his strength, and, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And Jehovah overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of the Pharaoh that came unto the, uh, came into the sea after them. They remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall upon them on their right and on their left. Thus Jehovah uh, saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which Jehovah did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared Jehovah and believed Jehovah and his servant Moshe. That's great. That's like I say, that I can't read that and not think about Charlton Heston and all that stuff. Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah, Paul. So if they didn't fear him after the ten plagues and that wasn't enough, then certainly seeing this kind of thing, I mean, for both sides, you know, the Egyptians, I don't know if I would have been on a chariot and I would have turned away at seeing the smoke, you know, the, oh, the pillar sure. of smoke. It's kind yeah. of like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, remember, remember what happened back in yeah, Egypt? Yeah, Pharaoh, what, if you can kill me when you get back, but yeah. I'm leaving now. Yeah, what it says was is that the you know the Israelites were sitting up, backed up against the sea, and the Pharaoh and his chariots were coming down this way, and the pillar of smoke, pillar of fire, removed itself from in front of them and stood between them, between the Egyptians and the Israelites, all night long so that the Israelites, or the, the Egyptians, couldn't come forward on the Israelites. Like you say, I wouldn't stick around an Egyptian army. I mean, I'd just soon be a deserter, because yeah. it's, it's real clear what's going on here. It's, you know, it's a big deal. <laughs> this is an interesting scenario. It's like where uh, a bunch of tanks going mm -hmm. through a gully, yep. and uh, the Allies are wiping out two or three tanks and blocking the pass, yep. which is entrapping the enemy, yep. Pharaoh and yep. his staff. So uh, with uh, the Israelites having across the trenches on the ground, yep. and what a, uh, I'm sure that Pharaoh might, should have known <clears throat> when the wheels of the chariot came Start off and when off. they got stuck. It was bye-bye for them, and that's what you know, happened. i tell you what. There's a friend of mine that lives in the Golan Heights, and he can take you to a place up there and talk to you about, the, I guess it's the Yom Kippur War, where, they, where the Israelites took back the Golan Heights and how the Syrians were coming down in their tanks in a situation just like you described. And they came through this channel, and the, there's only like two Israeli tanks left. And they, they were immobile, and they were sitting there firing on them, trying to stop them, and they succeeded in stopping them from coming through there. And this, these guys, there are people that can tell you that story because they were there. It's very much like you just described. 
Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. Two things. Uh, one, um, kind of interesting on the uh, Israelite side, it's uh, God demonstrating one of his awesome principles of, of, of providing a way of escape mm-hmm. uh, where there doesn't seem yep. to be. That's so, a very good point. Uh, and two, I would think if the pharaoh had a half a brain or had half <laughs> of strategic thinking, yep. that he would look at that open uh, water and say, that is obviously a trap. If I go in yeah. there, I'm going to be destroyed. Yeah. That, that, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the questions I like to ask is, do you suppose Pharaoh died? Marvin wants to say something, Paul. Okay. My question is, it, it really is not clear that Pharaoh was with them. Ah, that's, in, that's what I was going to say. That's why I was and, asking. And, my, and yep. my question is, I wonder what kind of reception he got back in Egypt when he went home. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. The thing is, is it would be very easy, and you can picture Pharaoh based on what we know about him from the previous story, that he would say, okay, go get him. And he stands there and looks, right? Because he's not going. No, I I honestly don't think he went. It doesn't say, but I didn't think he went. I like to talk about that. John. It's interesting how this has like Genesis 1 talk where he split the sea, separated the the Ah. sea. I kind of caught that. Yeah, that's a good point. The other one is I have a footnote here way at the beginning, the 15, and Yahweh said unto Moshe, therefore, let me say, wherefore Christ unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. And then the footnote says, Nakshon had wet feet. The sages say, and it's supposedly in the book of Yasher, that after Nakshon, who is the head of Judah, heard this, and he ran out of the Red Sea because he thought he and the children of Israel would be walking out on the water. That's what well, it, perhaps, yeah. Well, it's it's that's what it said. Book mean, of Jasher. Yeah. There was. I remember we were talking the other day, John, about the. There was a. There is a time where uh, Moses or someone, you know, took the staff and touched the water, and the water split. That wasn't this time. This time he stood with the staff upraised, and it took all night for the, the waters to split. The time where the water split with just touching it was when they crossed the Jordan. Joshua did that. Okay. Uh, let's see, there's a couple of things. Oh, I know what I wanted to do here for a second. There are at least three reasonable theories as to where this occurred. Okay. Uh, this map here is one of them. Well, let's see. First of all, the one that's in most Bibles, the one you'll see most all the time is that the Egyptians left Goshen up here came down, and they crossed the Red Sea here somewhere, or maybe even this thing here. And they crossed over here, and that Mount Sinai is down here in the Sinai Peninsula. Now, that's, that's been the most common belief for the longest time. After all, that is called the Sinai Peninsula. But there's, uh, there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't fit. On the other hand, theory number two, there really is a mountain over here in Saudi Arabia called Jebel el-Laws, which is Mount Sinai. And from what I've been told, I've never been there, the Saudis aren't particularly anxious to have you go run around over there, but that mountain is kind of fenced off with a big chain-link fence, and it's called a historic site, and they don't want anybody in there. Um, Most, uh, let me say, I'll use the word serious 
Bible scholars think that that's probably the real Mount Sinai is over there in the, the Arabian Peninsula. And in the New Testament, it talks, I think it's an Acts, I think, where Paul talks about how he went to Mount Sinai in Arabia. So there's every reason to believe that Mount Sinai is in Arabia, not in the Sinai Peninsula. So then there are two theories as to where they crossed. One of them has them crossing here, uh, where the Red Sea, oh, that's probably, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 miles, something like that, across there. Uh, and that could be. And then there's another one that has them come all the way down here and cross over here. This is called the, the Strait of Tehran. It's, the only advantage to this one is it's much closer. The distance that they would have to go here would be less. So it's not clear whether they went like this or they went the other one. But both of these number two and number three theories have the same Mount Sinai. I think that's kind of interesting. And you can find books. This, this one here is from a book called The Gold of Exodus. And I had that author, but it just went away. And the previous one, um, I can't remember those guys either. But you can look them up on the Internet. There you go. Speaking of the Internet. Yep. If I can interrupt. Uh, I, was, I watched this show on a regular basis, a guy named Steve Days. Mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a radio talk show host guy, but now he's on Blaze, but whatever. He had this guy on doing a presentation, one of his guests, and he talks exactly about this. And his website, and I haven't seen the movie. I think it's only like 20 minutes long. I'm sure it's, it, what, what, based on what he was saying, it was pretty much agreeing with what was saying here. Mm -hmm. the, the website is sinaiinarabia.com. Okay. So check that out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can Google location of Mount Sinai, all kinds of stuff, and you can, you can get all of this stuff very easily. Okay. If uh, that uh, Gulf of uh, whatever that is. Aqaba, this, this thing. Okay. Right. okay. The scripture says, right uh, and uh, God used... Uh, a strong east wind. East. Uh -huh. So according to where that uh, sea is, uh, from the east, which way would that be? It would be that way. The wind would blow like this. Okay, so the, uh, even though it was blowing the sea, it would uh, uh, maybe logically say, well, just one side of the sea open because the waves would be pushed uh, east from that point to east to the west. Well, but then the further on in the scripture says that the it was the right and left uh, was, was a sort of water. Well, no, what is uh, the right and left was the as the as the Israelites were walking across the floor of the sea, uh -huh. there was a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. Okay, that's right. But yet the God used the east wind. To, to do that? To do both the left and the right. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's, uh, I tell you what the picture is in my mind is he's, he's got his mouth down there and he's blowing. And he just blows right, right like this, you know, and he separates it like that. That's my mind. John, I'm Paul. Yeah, in my mind, it defies logic anyway. Well, <laughs> so sure. I, I, can't, I can't reason it out and say, well, logically, yeah, if yeah. God did this, I mean, yeah. he is Elohim. Yep. He whatever, whatever he, he did, it worked, mm -hmm. and I don't know the physics of it. 
So I, it's in Galatians where Paul talks about it? Ah, thank you. Can I? Yeah, go ahead. Because uh, I have a, a, a... Was it Galatians? Well, this is... Let me... It's in actual 17, Galatians 1.17, but let me back up, if you don't mind, and read from 11. But okay. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which has preached for me of me is not after man. For I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it by the revelation, but by the revelations of the Messiah. For you have heard of my conversations in time past in the Jews' religion, how they, that beyond measure I had persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many, my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I met that I might preach him among the heathen immediately I corrected not with flesh and blood neither when I went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me but I went in Arabia and returned again in Damascus I think he's taught this happens right after the on the road to Damascus? Sure, sure, after the being blind and all that, yeah. Right, so what I'm trying to get at, the, the, the scenario, the similarity is he had to go to boot camp too. Yes, yes. He didn't just go right to Jerusalem, no. right? Yeah. He had to do, he had to, you know, wander in the desert for X yeah. 40 days. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. I do think that's interesting. Well, and you know, I'm sure, let's see, my own personal experience has been that this is not the kind of a thing where, um, the light comes on and all of a sudden everything falls into place. It takes a while. And I'm sure Paul went down there and had some serious one-on-ones with God. <laughs> Anything else? Let's see. So what happened was, right, just to summarize, the God caused the Red Sea to separate and the Israelites went across on dry ground and the Egyptians went after him. And he says, okay, you can let the water go down. It came back and drowned all the Egyptians. I have been told... Um, that they've actually found, you know, coral-encrusted chariot wheels on the bottom of the Red Sea. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm so skeptical about stuff like that, but it could be true. Yeah. Um, I saw a website by Ron Wyatt. Yep, that's that's the guy that has the bottom one, that says they came across down on the bottom. Let me me do that. He said the gold gold chariot wheels, uh, the... Crust wouldn't even form on it because there's gold and they're whole and intact. Ah. So I don't know if there's any. Well, I'd like to see one, wouldn't you? Me too. Yeah. Yeah, there are pictures of them. Joe's got something. Well, that wouldn't surprise me that they found uh, residue of the chariots and everything at the bottom of the Red Sea. In modern day times, they found uh, the Bismarck. They found sure. other Titanic. Uh, planes, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, Japanese, Americans, you know, submarines, everything else. So yeah, yeah. it's very uh, pliable. Oh, uh, it that is. It could, it it could is. be true. Yep, it is definitely, definitely true. And if it is gold, it would have remained relatively intact. You might be surprised. You could you could probably find chariot wheels and all kinds of stuff all up and down the banks of that waterway. It could, it could be. Because in present day Europe in Amsterdam in those canals, 
they, they have to regularly clean them out. And so probably, I'm, I'm not disputing that those might not be the ones, yeah. but I bet there's all kinds of stuff that you could find from That's probably true. From yeah. history. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Chapter 15. Let's see. Would somebody like to read chapter 15, the first 18 verses of chapter 15? You want to do that, Paul? Sure, why not? Go for it. That's a, this is a nice uh, lyrical thing to do. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang the song to Yahweh and said, I will sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my Elohim, and I will praise him. My father is Elohim, and I will extol him. Elohim is a warrior. Elohim, I mean, uh, Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and, his and the choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, shatters the enemy. And in greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. And at the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. You said to eight? Eighteen. Eighteen. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the Elohim, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to, to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia, the chiefs of Edom, were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By your greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Yahweh, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them into the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Yahweh, in which you have made for your dwelling the sanctuary, O Yahweh, which your hands have established. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. Olam and an Olam. Okay. So that was pretty cool. Now, what, uh, who, let's see, songs in Scripture. Let's talk about songs in Scripture. Whose song was this? Who, according to the Scripture, it doesn't say exactly, but who, who sang this song? Who made this song up? It said Moses. It says, as Moses and the Israelites sang this song to Yahweh. Uh, we'll get Miriam here in a minute. But 
Um, what's the purpose of songs in Scripture? What's, what, why do you suppose this is here? Okay. Just a second. I think it's uh, another, what we read previously, that the honor to uh, God mm -hmm. that uh, costs uh, of the, thou sendest forth uh, thy wrath, thy wrath, thy this, thy that. So it's a, yes, it's um, to honor God. an expression of praise honor, and worship. Praise and honor to God. That's fine. I'm sure it's that. And if you'd seen what they saw, you'd probably do that too. I mean, I, I'm sure I'd have been right in there with that. Just a second. I'm sorry, I, I can't hear you. I want to talk. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking history repeats itself. Uh huh. And do we not apply it, what we learn to this day and age and what's going on in our world? Yep. Okay. That's good. That's good. Did you have something, Paul? You're asking, your question is, why do we, why did he sing the song? Yeah. Why is the song here? To remember. Good. To remember. We sing songs to remember. And, yep. you know, and if there's one thing that we're supposed to remember, is this what happened here yep. in the Passover? This, this is like the, whole, the key, almost. Right. Yeah. This is, you know, yeah, this is what we do on the event. Passover. Yep. So in verse 2, it says that the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. If he's become salvation once, what would be so strange in him becoming salvation again? Not a thing, obviously. That's good. Yep. Yes, go ahead. From a technical standpoint, it's easy for little ones to remember songs because of the meter, the poetic pace. Yep. Yep. Rhymes and things like that. Yeah, my, so it's easy to remember songs. My best example of that is Dainu. Once you once you learn Dainu, you can never forget it. It seems to me that we are to worship him with our whole being. If we didn't sing, we would be missing a portion or a part. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, in Hebrew, the word is Yeshua, right? Yep, salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he came to Yeshua right here. Joe has something. Back in the book of Revelation, the redeemed will be singing praises and uh, mm -hmm. worship to uh, God the Father mm -hmm. in heaven. Mm -hmm. So it's just uh, uh, in this uh, translation, I am, he has become, will that become as continuous uh, salvation? Yep. And yep. when we get to heaven, we'll be singing in the heavenly choir. Yep. As a matter of fact, it's Revelation chapter 15, verse 2 and 3. It says, we'll sing this song again. Okay. Just to add a little bit more to that, it's fun here because, mm -hmm. you know, we're these are the words that are here. And so it says, Yorevave is my strength and song. He, Yorevave, has become Yeshua. My, yes, yes. He, Yorevave, became Yeshua. And it says, this is my God. This 
Yeshua, that he became, is my God. I will praise him. My father's God, I will extol him. His name, or it says, Yorevave, is his name. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so that's not like such an unusual concept. So the strength is Azi, like Uzi. Uzi, that's interesting. I kind of find it interesting, too, in verse 2 there, um, my version, which is uh, uh, Trina's version, he, he has Yah, the, just the, po- the poetic, the, the Yod-Heh, mm-hmm. and then if you put that together with my Savior, mm-hmm. so really you have the name there, Yah, Strength and song, and, and now he's your savior. So Yahshua is there. And that Yah, the, the short form is also in verse 11. Okay. I wonder if anybody else has any comments about that poetic mm-hmm. shortened version. Shortened version, yeah. That's a, I, I don't know. I'm like surprised hallelu- that's in there. Hallelujah. Yeah. Well, that, uh, it, what is it? Proverbs 30. Proverbs 34. Okay. It says, what is his name? What is his son's name? If thou can't tell. Okay. That uses the... The poetic, short, the short, yeah. The okay. yeah, just the yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, there's one thing that I wanted to point out about the song that you guys have touched on. Well, you go ahead. Oh, I have a footnote here for that verse 2. It refers you to... Psalm 118, 14, and it's the exact same verse. Yah is my strength and song, and he has become my deliverance. Okay, that's good. This occurs, you know, this this thing was used by people long before the invention of the printing press or anything like that. In fact, most people were illiterate. And so songs could be memorized. I mean, you kind of, like I say, you kind of touched on it. But the nice thing about this is this made it an easy way to uh, remember Scripture because you remember the song. Does anybody know of any other songs of Moses in the Bible? Beg your pardon? In Revelation? Oh, yeah. In Deuteronomy, there's there's, uh, yet another song, and we'll talk a lot about that one. Uh, and then there's one of the Psalms. Let me see if I've got it written down here somewhere. Psalm 90. Paul's psalm retired. 90 says a Psalm of Moses. What's he trying to dump something on you? He's retiring. He's retiring. <laughs> you can't do that. Okay. Oh, Okay. Mike's, Mike's supposed to have the mic. Um, let's go ahead and finish. Let's see. I'll read this little short part. This is verse 19 through 21. So that's the end of the song. And then verse 19 goes back to the narrative. It says, When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, Yahweh brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her. 
with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, <clears throat> Sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. That's the thing we mostly remember about this. Quick comment. Yeah. <coughs> While you catch your breath. The prophetess, the Hebrew is uh, Han Neviah. <coughs> so Navi, Navi is the prophet, mm -hmm. male prophet. Neviah would be a feminine prophet? Neviah, yeah. So <coughs> we now know we were intimately familiar with the family of Moses, right? Moses has an older sister and an older brother. His older sister's Miriam and his older brother's Aaron. Yes. Backing up across. That's fine. The stories that I have heard about these crossings is that there's only one place in all of that area where there's just a platform across there. Uh-huh. Which would mean to me that if the thing was so deep everywhere else, you wouldn't be able to find chariot wheels anywhere except on that. That's a good point. That's that a good point. Area. Was was that the place? The lower one. Yeah, that was, I do remember that because, um, let's see, let me so go back over to that one. Yeah, this one here is from these Gold of Exodus guys, Wyatt, I guess. And yeah, he says that right across here is a, like you said, kind of a platform, a place where the ocean is not very deep, and it's actually kind of a land bridge that goes just you know, directly from here to there. And uh, the map is a little deceptive because that strait is pretty narrow, really. It's, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 miles, but it's not, it's not real wide. So that one, that one to me seemed a little more likely, but I don't know. In any case, I'm fairly convinced myself. I mean, I like to keep an open mind and be a little bit skeptical at the same time. I'm fairly convinced that this is really where Mount Sinai is, not this. Yeah. So I have a quirky way of remembering things. And Navi, I always think of Navy like, you know, they all had to be in the Navy or something, the, yeah. the prophets. All the, all the Navis but, were in the Navy. Right. But in, in God's Navy, as, as Mark pointed out, no one needs a ship. You don't need a boat. <laughs> just walk across the water. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> so in that map, it's got it coming across at the bottom. Yep. But it's actually further up where they went across that little land bridge. Was well, yeah, right, right there somewhere. Yep. Well, yeah. that's the other map. The other map shows it there. And yeah. all I'm presenting here is these are at least two different ways. Ah. So because this guy swears up and down, it's here. But the other, I've seen both. I've seen the presentations and read the books on both. And as far as I'm concerned, unless they're both just making it up out of broad cloth, either one could be right. Well, when you look at, I've, I've looked at the, some of the maps have, just like the mountains have, you know, you can get the, um, what do they call it? It's, it's 3D contour yep. of, the, of the landscape. We well, get the same thing on the below the water. Yeah. And it is, in, in, on the maps, a very sharp downturn there on this particular spot. Okay. It goes steep down, and it's very heavy coral. So it'd be okay. very rough. Okay. Whereas over there, it's sandy, and there's the natural land bridge because it's all coming out of that river that flows out that made that yeah. little beach area where they all came okay. out to. Well, so. that would make sense. That would make sense. And it occurs to me that looking at the topography of the bottom of the ocean there would be the best way to tell. 
Well, what I, what I like about the other side, the other site too, is it's narrow. It's a it's a canyon. You can't. You're boxed in. You can't go yeah. anywhere else. Yeah. So, I have another joke. Okay. So Jonah, the prophet, he went by ship. What happened to him? He got thrown in the water and got ate by fish. That's right. <laughs> so God's definitely in the armies, not navies, right? Okay. Okay. Let's move on in the action here and, and go from verse 22 to the end of chapter uh, 15. Somebody want to read from 22 to the end of chapter 15? <laughs> you guys are funny. And Moshe brought Israel from the Sea of Reeds, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Marah, and they were unable to drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. So the name of it was called Marah. And the people grumbled against Moshe, saying, What are we to drink? Then he cried out to Yahuwah, and Yahuwah showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a law and a right ruling for, there, for them, and there he tried them. And he said, if you diligently obey the voice of Yahuwah your Elohim and do what is right in his eyes and shall listen to his commands and shall guard all his laws, I shall bring you on... I shall uh, not. I shall bring you on you none... Okay. Oh, bring on you none of the diseases I brought on the Mitzrites, for I am Yahuwah who heals you. And they came to Elim where there were 12 fountains of water and 70 palm trees. And they camped there by the waters. Okay. I have a question. How, how, if he hasn't given the law yet, how could they follow his right rulings? Well, he just, he's, here's one, but that's a good point. That's what Mark um, always asks. Let's see. Elam is on this map here, and it shows that they've crossed the Red Sea here, and they're on their way down to, down south a little bit. So this is Elam. So this place, Mara, is just a little bit before Elam, evidently, according to the story. Uh, the word Mara means what? Bitter. So. I was going to comment on that very word. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'm looking... Oh, in the word study, I have the uh, source called the word study. It says, this word has two seemingly incompatible definitions. One about lodge, tarry, and the other murmur. So I don't kind of okay. Like if you're in the house, you're you tend to want to murmur. I don't know. Hmm. Murmuring is kind of what they're. Although it says bitter, I don't know. Pat's got something over here. By the way, I was supposed to say hello to Tony in Houston. I forgot. So we'll make him. Yeah, hi Tony. We'll make you wait until you know we're almost done. Say hi. Group high. Hi. Hi. <laughs> According to this, it would seem redundant to go all the way down and cross over there and then back up to Elam and then over to Sinai. So I agree. it does make sense to yeah. come across. Yeah. I agree. I think Mark's really got the right answer, though. What we need to do is we need to get a map of what the bottom of the, what the seabed looks like right up through it, you know, up and down here. And based on what that looks like, I bet we could kind of come up with a likely answer. 
And I've, I remember learning about that same stuff there. Um, let's see, I want to go back here. <clears throat> so they go to the, they, they get across the, the Dead Sea there, or the, I'm sorry, the Red Sea, and they're marching along minding their own business. It's only been a couple of days, I think. Three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And they came to Marah, and they couldn't drink it because it was bitter. And so what do they do? They complain, right? That's what they always do. They complain, right? Um, whoever. Just a second. Well, I would complain too after three days in the desert and not having any water. I mean, yeah. that's a, re a reasonable complaint. Well, yes and no. Attitude is a different... Okay, fine. That's right. Whenever you say that, I'm with you. <laughs> Certainly, it's reasonable to say, look, you know, it's this three days. Great. I'm pretty darn thirsty. Yeah. But, you know, what, what are we going to do? Right. Oh, my gosh. Did you bring us out here to die of thirst? So, I don't know if this is in your notes, but does this story ever, something like this, come up again? Well, yeah. Two Can or you three talk places. about that? Or are you going to... Well, that, are, are you jumping ahead? I don't know. Yes, it comes up again. Are you going to talk about it? Talk about what? Well, what happens when he's, what hap what's the contrast between the waters, the, the bitter waters at Miramah yeah. with Moses? I mean, it's kind of consequential. Well, why don't you talk about it? It's, As I recall, yeah. he, he didn't do what Yahweh told him to do. Yes. He effectively was a false prophet, if I may be so bold, yes, at that yes. time. At that time, in that instance. And... He struck the, the rock instead of okay. speaking to it. Yep. So we'll, he's in control here, but he wasn't. He lost it at that point. Yeah, that's fair. And, and it says right here very clearly in verse 23. Nope. Yep, nope, 25. Then Moses cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a piece of wood. And he threw the piece of wood into the water and became sweet. So, you know, he just did what he was told, right? Uh, uh. Down here in 27, it's like an oasis because it's like what you see in the movie in the desert. Yep. We're out there. 12 springs uh, and 70 palm trees. It's an you oasis, uh, 12 springs water, mm -hmm. which were fresh mm -hmm. because uh, there were three scores uh, uh, palm trees, mm -hmm. and the palm trees would not been there if they didn't have the, the springs of water. Well, sure. Sure. Yeah. But what was all this about? Let's see. Marvin's got something. Yeah, I want to go back to what John was talking about. He had a little bit of an excuse later on because he hadn't been with these people very long at this point in time. Yeah. So he was pretty level-headed, but yeah. kind of wore him, wore yeah, yeah, him yeah. after a few years. I can relate. <laughs> um, it's interesting that, what do you make of this whole thing about, uh, uh, this is the latter half of verse 25, he says, there Yahweh made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of Yahweh your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. I am Yehovah Raphek, God your healer. Yes. So, so the key word is, if, if, it's a little tiny yes. word, if, and it says if, and it implies that if you don't, you have a choice. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. you have a volition. You have a choice. Yes. If yeah. you do this, 
And you believe, of course, then yeah. yep. these, the, these, the diseases of Egypt will not be upon you. I wonder what diseases he was talking about. What? Boils? <laughs> Could be boils, yeah. Well, isn't there a scripture that he tells them that everywhere your feet have touched will mm -hmm. be your land? There is a scripture. Does, does that include that stuff there that you're but pointing out? Probably, yeah. Well, that could, could be too, because it includes where we live. I mean, after all, we're now Israelites. Mm -hmm. So, is this biblical health care insurance? Yeah, that's exactly what this is. This is the Obamacare for Moses. Moses care. I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting that, that this thing seems to be concerning diseases, and it talks about God, your healer. Um, the note I had in my Bible, which I don't put a lot of confidence in, at least this one, talked about how there was probably a lot of diseases in Egypt um, associated with their lifestyle and with some of their less than wholesome practices, you know, their um, sexual practices or whatever they would eat and all these kind of things. And basically what this is telling them is, if you'll behave yourself and do what I'm going to tell you to do, then you won't have those diseases. That's what I get out of it. You might get something else. Speaking about the diseases in Egypt, if you remember a few months back, I had pointed out that uh, I discovered that they were speaking Hebrew again in Egypt like the, like the prophet said that they would, and that the Nile would be um, a stench and what's happening is, currently, is major diseases are, are being birthed and coming upon the Egyptians as a result of this, the issues that they're having from the drying up of the Nile and the garbage going into the water. I can believe that. Yeah, that's interesting. That, uh, this whole passage is, is interesting because uh, it's, what, is, what does it say that God was doing to them? At the last half of verse 25 there, it says, there Yahweh made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. How is he testing them? Well, uh, you know, how are they going to react after not drinking water for three days? Hmm, that'll be interesting. Yep, that's let's see. Let's test this tests. and see what happens. Yeah. And then get them out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And see how they react. Yep. Okay. Now I, I want to. Is that what you're getting at, or kind of? Okay. But that it leads me to say what I really wanted to say, which is, when God tests us, He's not testing us for His information. He's testing us so we'll know. Right. Okay. So when He's testing the Israelites, what He's doing is, is He's saying, by you know. Based on the way this works out, you can know whether you know, know what's in your own heart. Right. And so, what he's basically saying is, you need to not be so uh, impatient, gripey, murmuring. You know. Paul says things. ditto. Paul says ditto. Just, just take my comment away. No, <laughs> this is the same group of people that several weeks before were saying, "What did we come out here because there was no burial ground in Egypt?" Yeah. yeah. 
Then they cross over. Now they're jubilant and they're singing. Yeah. Three days later, they're, they're saying, what? You brought us out here to die of thirst. To die of yeah. thirst? Well, this same song gonna is going to go over and over and over again. I mean, I, we got it clear through the end of the book of Numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, just a few weeks before this is uh, they crossed the Red Sea. Yeah. And uh, uh, logically, uh, it's trust, you know. Hey, God, you brought us through the Red Sea and everything. And now they're saying, we have nothing to drink. It's like a swishy. Well, the thing is, is, of course, we do the same thing. Not only do we do the same thing, but I mean, what they're really facing here is the fact that it's, well, they're they're facing their own fears, which is lack of trust. They're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a real chance that I could die of thirst out here, but I've had this. I mean, I do this sometimes. You got to go back and you got to say, now, would God have done all the stuff that He did? You know, would He have, you know, gone through the ten plagues and parted the Red Sea and killed all the Egyptians? Would He have done all of that just to bring me out here and have me die of thirst? Probably not. But sometimes it's kind of hard to get your hands on that. Yeah, the scriptures say that all these things were written aforetime for our instruction. That's right. So when I look at stuff like this, you know, it's easy to say, wow, they were dummies. But then it's kind of like, wow, I'm such a dummy. Well, I do the same thing. Because, you know, there are times where you you can't see it. But in my mind, I say, well, if I had the pillar of fire and smoke, I would have more faith. But they didn't necessarily. So it just depends on your level of miracles. And then the other thing is, over a period of time, if you get used to something being there, yeah. it's no longer miraculous. It's That's just true. another yep. That's day. Yeah, sure, look. Yeah. I mean, so this is why I like the analogy of boot camp. Boot camp is to test you. Yep. To test it. So when the when the real bullets start firing, you're you you've felt that before. You you've gone through that. It's not something new where you need to panic. Yep. You, you know, you, you can react properly. Yep, you absolutely. tested and you passed. Yep. As a matter of fact, one of the things I get out of that in this thing here, in this little story, is that he tests you, and then a lot of times, he, after the test, after, you know, you've passed or failed, it really doesn't matter whether you've passed or failed, but after the test, he oftentimes brings you to, you know, 12 springs and 70 palm trees to, uh, you can, I wouldn't say relax, but you can be in a, place of relative peace and comfort to analyze what's happened to you. <laughs> so you can look back and say, well, I wonder how I did on that. Yeah, I, I think it's a good opportunity for any of us to see what's really in our heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. As scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, are we singing praises every day or are we complaining yep. even in our heart? Because yep. several times in the scriptures we'll see through Exodus it will say that they murmured in their heart or they complained in their heart. They yep. may not have vocalized it, yep. but that complaint was there. Most of the time they did vocalize it. And as a matter of fact, whenever we get to this one passage, I think it's in Deuteronomy, where he says, I brought you out into the desert for this very purpose so that you would know what's in your heart. So that's what all this is for. Okay, let's move on. I, uh, I feel like I'm going too slow. Maybe you don't. Chapter 16. I got myself in the same fix I was in last week in that we don't have enough time to do the whole chapter. Um, 
So I'm going to read a little, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll come back and continue on with 16 next week, if that's okay. Oh, I did bring my glasses. No, I forgot my glasses. So I'm going to read some of 16, all right? The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out from Egypt. 15th day of the second month. So this has been a month so far. One month, okay? In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by Yahweh's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was Yahweh when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against Yahweh. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the Israelite community, Come before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. So let's analyze that for just a second. Right? It's been a month. They're out here, and they make their, they, the whole community, it says, I'm in verse 2, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we'd died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we had lots to eat and sat around and had everything we wanted. You brought us out here to starve the assembly to death. Now, who's he, who are they blaming? Moses and Aaron. And are they being, you know, they're not murmuring. They're just, they're accusing him. Uh, you wonder about these people. You really do, right? And, and, yeah, God's very patient. He said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven. And then he says, this is going to be a test. And uh, you need to follow my instructions. You need to gather what you need every day. And on the sixth day, gather twice that much. Um, we know why, of course, but they may not have. Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you'll know that it was Yahweh that brought you out of Egypt. So, and then they say twice, Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but you're grumbling against God. They needed to know that, you know. Of course, he says that over and over again. Yep. So it's kind of off what point you're bringing up, but here they're describing a month after the fact. Mm -hmm. well, this is where I got the, is it three days or 30 days kind of thing? So yeah. If you look at it there, they have more time to get from those two places. Yeah. I think um, just based on the map here, obviously they're leaving from, you know, well, we won't count the Goshen part because the story really starts here in Sukkot. So they, the vast majority of their travel time had to be spent here. You know, and then they cross the Gulf, and then they're they're just they're just here, 
know, they're not very far down here. So I guess my point is, is if they're just a month, they spent the, the majority of that month getting to the, to the Red Sea, I think. Yeah. Okay. Let me see if I want to go a little further. I think I'll quit. We'll stop here, if that's okay, and we'll pick it up next week. Um, you can always read ahead and answer questions, and that way we can all be prepared. Has anybody got any last comments? We said hello to Tony. That's a good thing. Any other thoughts? Okay, I'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for your word. It's really fun to sit here and look at these things in detail and realize, number one, that we're not that different than these Israelites that we kind of cluck our tongues at. And number two, that you are the same God that's here with us today that was with them back then. And we ask you to just be patient with us, but to guide us. Help us to know what it is that we're supposed to do. Help us to know whenever we're being tested and to, uh, to behave appropriately. Thank you for blessing us. Keep us safe until we meet together at Shabbat. In Yahushua's name, amen. Thank you for joining us, and thank you all, uh, all you guys out on YouTube.